Good morning. How is everybody? I'm Mike, if you don't know me. And I just got back from vacation. And it was awesome. We had such a good time. Uh, Cassie and I took our girls, and Nate and Nicole brought their girls, and Megan and Richard brought their boys, and we all went camping and went to Holiday World, and it was really relaxing. And then people started posting the pictures of what we did, and I'm like, I'm tired just seeing all the stuff we did. But it was a blast. It was really relaxing. And then I got to come back to work on Thursday, and <sighs> it was hot. So hot. And then somebody turned on the air conditioning, and it's been great, right? Um, welcome. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, if it's your first time here, it, there's bulletins in the back, I think, still. And inside your bulletin is a communication card uh, where um, you can fill out prayer requests. You can put down a little bit of information about yourself. There are things like small groups and other stuff that you're interested in. Good morning, Sarah. Welcome back, Sarah. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's in your bulletin, along with some notes that you can follow along today. Uh, there's a few announcements before we jump in today's lie, because we're in the Truth About Lies series. Um, coming up, we're having a high school and campus retreat, um, which, yeah, woo! depending on what school district or college you go to is either just after or just before school starts. And it's only $100 a person. You guys are awesome donating money to help send these students who are broke go to a retreat um it's exciting there will be i believe it's archery that is involved i think that's the one we're doing um there there's talk of a barn dance i don't know it's southern missouri um but it's going to be a great time had by all you can sign up still or if you wish to pay ahead of time cassie mitchell i believe is going to be at the welcome center Somebody, somebody will be at the Welcome Center. Um, also, tonight, 6.30 at the Jerseyville Pool is a ladies' swim party. Yeah, bring a snack and a drink and have some fun. Uh, that's coming up. Also, there's a lot. There's a lot coming up. School start, and we're getting back into this. August 28th, August 28th, we're having the Root Beer Riot. SIU called and said, hey, can we do the Root Beer Riot? Campus needs help. So if you want to volunteer to help at the Root Beer Riot on August 28th, which is a Saturday, by the way, you can talk to, again, somebody at the Welcome Center, probably the same person who's got the sign-up sheet for the Refocus Retreat, and say, hey, I'd like to help. Where do you want me to help? Um, that usually involves scooping ice cream, selling T-shirts, cooking food, handing out food. Um, I'm sure they're going to be really on us about sanitization and gloves and masks and stuff because they want to keep everybody safe. So we're going to have some stuff that we're going to need people to help with. It's always fun. I have attended nearly every root beer riot or kager since I was in college as either a college student or somebody helping. It's always a good time. You know, it's weird because I'm getting older and I'm looking at these kids and I can say that now. Because I'm like, you guys, when I went to SIU, y'all weren't even in school yet. And some of you look at me like, you're just a baby. I'm like, well, I turn 40 next year. So that's weird to me. Oh, the big 4-0. Somebody posted it real quick. Somebody posted a picture on Facebook this week, and it was uh, 90s kids. And it's the little boy from Jurassic Park hiding from the Velociraptor. And the Velociraptor says, 
age 30. And I'm like, oh, I remember when that applied to me. Oh, now I got arthritis and responsibilities. Um, there's also a marriage retreat coming up. It's information on the back of your bulletin. There's a lot there, uh, but I'm really excited to dive into this lesson. Um, I've been, I, the guys give me ample time to study for a sermon. So every time I get up here to talk, I'm really excited because I've spent like three weeks studying out my topic. They give me time because I work a lot. I'm, they actually took overtime away from me this week, six hours. So even though I only worked three days, I still got 25, 25 hours in, 29 hours in, something. It's crazy. But I've been working like 60, 65 hours a week. So they make sure they give me time to study and get ready for these sermons, which gives me time to get excited. Can I tell you, I personally, and there's a struggle out there, but personally, I haven't struggled with believing that the Bible is God's word. I haven't struggled with believing the accuracy of the Bible. It's just not a struggle I've had. That being said, people struggle with that. And that's a real thing. That's a real thing. And if you're walking through that struggle, keep walking through it. Keep seeking out information. Keep looking at why should I trust the Bible? So today, what we're going to tackle, the lie we're going to tackle is the world, Satan, puts it out there that the Bible's out of date. The Bible's out of date. You know, another way to say that is the Bible is old and useless. Because when, when you talk about things that are out of date, I think of things like the telegram. That's out of date. Heck, even telephones are out of date. Like, who here growing up had a telephone hanging on the wall in their house? Okay, who here still has a telephone hanging on the wall in their house? My in-laws do. Their phone number is 618-69... No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I still remember the phone number, though, by heart. Who remembers all of their best friend's phone numbers? Because we... I remember my number. I remember my wife's number. We just got my daughter a cell phone. Could not tell you her phone number at all right now. I can't. Does that make me a bad father? No, you can't remember all the phone numbers either. But we used to do that. My phone number growing up, 314-741-7439. And then we switched. It was 314-741-7061. I don't remember why we switched phone numbers, but we did. That was the phone number I had growing up. When my parents moved to Illinois, it was 618-692-0892. They don't have that number anymore, so I can say that. So somebody's going to call that number and they're like, why are you calling? Um, but even the telephone's out of date. I mean, we have cell phones, but like texting, which is really a telegram. <laughs> right? Uh, other things that are old and useless, like the horse and buggy. We have cars. Who needs a horse? You, back in the day, only rich people owned cars and poor people owned horses. And now it's flipped. Only rich people own horses and poor people can own cars. But how many of you, when you hit a certain age, kind of start to feel a little useless? Like, I can't do what I used to do. And I want to encourage you that even though you can't do what you used to do, you're not useless. You're, you might be old. Um, but you're not useless. You have so much to give to the family of God, to the, your family, to the people around you. Um, I, 
uh, like 15 years ago, I tore my rotator cuff. And I got to 80% movement, and the doctor's like, you're good to go. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's only 80%. He goes, oh, you'll be fine. You're young. It'll heal. But by the time you're 40, you're going to have to have surgery. What? How is that good? Well, and, you know. And, and for a while, I couldn't do anything with that arm. And then now I have arthritis in it, so I can't lift what I used to lift. And I'm like, well, oh, crap. I, I, can, I see all of this stuff that all the guys ahead of me have been telling me, you got to take care of your body. you got to watch out because by the time you're blah, blah, blah age, you're going to feel it. And I do. How many of us put our faith in old documents like the Constitution and the Bill of Rights? I know that's kind of sketchy in today's society. People argue about it. But, I, you know, I still appreciate we live in a country that has the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, even though they're really old. I thought about putting up pictures of them up here. I thought about putting up a picture of the Magna Carta. Do you all remember the Magna Carta? I think it was written in the 1500s. You know what that is? It says that people should have a voice in their government, essentially, is what it is. We put our faith in these things. We put our trust in these things. Heck, we put our faith and trust in the laws written by the Illinois Congress. To an extent. But how often are we looking at the Bible that way? How often are we putting more trust in scientific studies on a COVID vaccine for or against whichever party you're in, but we don't put our trust in what Scripture says? How many of you in the past year have read more about COVID than you have Scripture? Because we look at it, it's this old book that's supposed to sit on a shelf and collect dust. Now, to be fair, you're all like, Mike, we have electronic Bibles now. Okay, you're right. I mean, I personally have started reading only from electronic Bible because I find it just easier to carry around. I used to do a thing called the 60-second challenge with the high schoolers where you could never be more than 60 seconds away from your Bible. And now they got their cell phones. They're like, hey, done. But today's lie is that the Bible is out of date. It's old and useless. Um, as Christians, we profess that the Bible is the Word of God. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Because our culture is telling us that the Bible has been proven wrong historically. Our culture is telling us that the Bible isn't actually God's Word. It was written by a bunch of guys and is therefore wrong or can be corrupted. Our culture is telling us that the Bible is just plain out of date and it's too old to have any input into today's, to, into today's society. Do you guys feel that in today's culture? Do you guys feel that culture is telling you, why are you trusting this old document written by men? In studying for this, I've read a lot. I've read a lot. I've read on both sides. Arguments for and against Scripture. And I'm not going to stand up here today and say that, and I'm not going to, my, my goal is to not prove that the Bible is God's Word. I believe that the Bible is God's Word. I have Scripture up here that proves the Bible is God's Word. My, my goal today is to prove that the Bible is useful today. 
Um, in doing so, we are going to talk about a little bit that the Bible is actually God's word. But that's not the ultimate goal. If Again, if you are struggling with that, keep struggling. Keep searching out. Keep talking to people about it. Keep reading. Because there's a lot out there. Um, there's a video that I came across a couple of weeks ago. And I have watched it a few times through because I had to watch it a few times through because there's a lot to chew on. Fair warning, it's two hours and ten minutes long. Two hours, nine minutes, and some seconds. And uh, I, his name keeps coming up because he makes it really easy to understand. It's by Tim Mackey. It's a Saturday morning seminar that they had in Madison, Wisconsin. And it is titled something to the extent of how we got the Bible or making the Bible. I didn't know that he did his dissertation on how we got the Bible. I didn't understand that. I mean, I knew he was smart. But he goes through a lot. It's like drinking from a fire hose. you got to stop and pause and go back. And It's really good. I highly recommend it. It really explained a lot more, both with the Old Testament and the New Testament, of how the Bible came together and how we can trust it, why we can trust it. He talks about how um, it is a human document and it is a divine document. So it was written by men, inspired by God, and you can trust that it is God's Word. He talks about that. It's really good, but it's two hours and ten minutes long. So get a cup of coffee, get a snack, sit down on your couch early in the morning like I did this morning because I will listen to most of it again. It's really good. He explains a lot. So if you all are fans of Tim Mackey and the Bible Project, you're going to enjoy this video. There are other people out there who talk about it. Look them up. Vet them. Make sure you know they know what they're talking about. Talk to people here. I am not an expert on biblical proofs. I'm learning still. There are people out here who I trust, who understand, hey, this is God's Word and this is how we know it. Talk to people you trust. And and look at both sides. Look at the argument. Don't just be one-sided. I'm very in, I'm a, a very big proponent of understanding both sides so you can have a firm footing on what your beliefs are. All that being said and all that set up, How do I know that the Bible is out of date is a lie? How do I know that? Well, on your notes, I only have three points today. I had more, whittled them down. We only have three. Um, And again, this is just me telling you guys that you can trust the Bible. Here's what God wants you guys to know about the Bible. Here's the truths about the Bible that God wants you to know. Number one, God wants me to know that the Bible is historically accurate. The Bible is historically accurate. On your notes, it's a little weird, because under this point, there is no Scripture, which I don't ever do. But I felt that you cannot prove a point about something by using the thing to prove it. So there's a quote from the Smithsonian on your notes. It says the historical books of the Old Testament are as accurate historical documents as any that we have from antiquity and are, in fact, more accurate than many of the Egyptian, Mesopotamian, or Greek histories. The article, uh, these biblical records can be and are used as other ancient documents in archaeological work. 
The Smithsonian Institute. It's a big name. Everybody knows it. Boom. Essentially, if I was to put that in Mike D terms, if you're doing an archaeological thing and it contradicts the history of the Bible, you did something wrong, go back and check yourself. Because the Bible's right. It's not a church saying it. It's the Smithsonian Institute. You can use the historical documents of the Old Testament as history, as fact. Now, there have been many times people have argued against this. In uh, in the book of Daniel, there's a guy named King Belshazzar. You guys remember him? Critics use King Belshazzar as an argument against Scripture. See, he was never seen in the archaeological findings, but in 1854... Henry Rawlson discovered an inscription in Iraq that named Belshazzar as the oldest son and co-regent of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's an Iraqi name I can't pronounce. Nebuchadnezzar, something like that. Who would often leave Belshazzar in charge of Babylon while he traveled. This discovery also helped to clarify Daniel 5.9, which states that Daniel was elevated to the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Okay, so 1854, they proved that, that thing wrong. Um, how about the Hittite nation? Have you guys heard this argument before? So no, the Hittites are a very big deal in Old Testament, but everybody was like, ah, we've never found any evidence that the Hittite nation existed. So they used, critics used to believe the Bible was wrong because there was no evidence outside the Bible of the Hittites. The Hittite civilization is mentioned approximately 40 times in the Old Testament. The skeptics convinced that this proved the Bible is... M- is a mythical creation of ancient Hebrew writers. But then, in 1906, a German archaeologist named Hugo Winkler was excavating in Boghazkoi, Turkey, and discovered the capital city of the ancient Hittite Empire. The entire Hittite library and 10,000 clay tablets documenting the Hittite history. Scholars translated these writings and discovered that everything the Bible had said about the Hittite Empire was true. All right, so that happened in 1906. We found the capital city of the Hittite nation in 1906 and all of the proof that the Bible was accurate. Then, critics used to believe the Bible was wrong because they felt that King David was a legendary mythical character. He was essentially Israel's King Arthur. Because... I didn't know this. This is something I learned. They hadn't found archaeological evidence of him existing. In 1994, this is pretty recent, archaeologists discovered an ancient stone slab in northern Galilee that was inscribed with the references to King David and the house of David. And there's more. There's a lot more that points to the historical accuracy of Scripture. I just said when I started that I'm not out to point out that the Bible is true written by God, but I just spent a whole point talking about historical accuracy. Why? Why do I spend that time proving historically that Scripture is correct? I do that because if the Scripture is wrong in the history Could it be wrong in the morality? Could it be wrong in other points? And that's an argument. If it's wrong historically, how can we trust everything else? 
And every time the historical accuracy has come into question of Scripture, Scripture has come out on top being factual and true. And you can trust the rest of it. You can trust the other stuff that is said. You can trust that when it says this is the Word of God, inspired by God, you can trust it. God wants you to know that the Bible is not old and useless. The Bible is not out of date because He says it's not. He says it's useful. And if we can prove it's right historically, we can trust that it's right in other areas. I just really thought it was interesting to me that the Smithsonian comes out and says, hey, you can trust the historicity, the historical accuracy of Scripture. That's big. That's huge. Especially in today's society. Okay. So it's historically accurate. Historically accurate. I got up really early this morning. My brain clicked on. I had a bunch of coffee. I'm already excited about this lesson. I feel like I keep getting tongue twisted. Are you guys all excited about Scripture? Do you get excited when you're talking about Scripture? Dude, I get so excited. Oh my gosh. And and just talking about God's Word and learning how it came into being, you don't even understand. You got... Oh my gosh, you guys gotta watch that video. You gotta read this stuff. It's really cool. I'm really excited. I'm sorry. It's, you're like Mike. It's Sunday morning. Bring it down. Number two. How do I know? What does God want me to know the truth about His Word? Well, He wants me to know that the Bible was written for me. Okay, Mike. Um, that sounds really simple. Yes, it does. It was written for me. But the Bible was not written to me. There's a difference. So, like, I used to have all these letters that Cassie wrote to me in high school. I don't have them anymore. That's a long story. Sad day. Um, But I used to have all these letters. They were written to me, right? But if my daughters would have went back and read them, they could assume that they were written for them. Because those letters led to them. Many, many years after they were written. Many, many years after they were written. (laughs) But they were written to me. But you could say they were written for them. I'm learning so much about how Scripture should be read. How Scripture should be read. Scripture was written to be meditated on. Now, we, we hear that, right? We hear that in, in our fast-paced 2021 society. We think five minutes in the Word, five minutes praying, and we're done. Hey, I had my quiet time today. <sighs> or we go the exact opposite direction where you're, Home, Jesus. Meditate, right? Scripture is supposed to be meditated on. And what that means is you read it and you digest it. You chew on it a little bit. And you don't stop. Now, you gotta stop. I mean, I get that. You gotta work and eat and sleep. But it's a continual thing. Every day. Every day we're supposed to meditate on the Word. And here's the other kicker. It's meant to be read through and then started over. 
is the way the writers wrote Scripture. It's a continual cycle. You're not supposed to start January 1st, I'm going to start Genesis, and December 31st, I'll be done with Revelation. That's great. I'm not putting that down at all. Okay, I do that. But then you're supposed to start back over and read it again. You see, when you're reading Genesis for the very first time, you have a lot of questions, right? And then you get to Leviticus, and you want to quit. And then you get you get into the minor prophets, and you're like, what? <laughs> what is going on? And then you get to Revelation, and you're like, what was John on when he wrote this? But then you start back in Genesis, and you're like, oh wait, this connects to here, and that connects to there that I read the last time through this. But then you get more questions. And you get all the way to the end, and you're like, I'm going to start over. And you get back to the beginning, and those questions that you had in the second time through start to get answered on the third time through. But then you have more questions, and you have to start over again. And so the fourth time through, you're getting questions answered, but you have more questions. You see, it's a cycle. It was designed to be read and read and read. That's And in today's society, in today's culture, we don't get that. There was an art form to writing Scripture that was cultural. The Bible was written for me. It wasn't written to me. I'm not some near Middle East agrarian society person who has to worry about moving the boundary posts and what you have to do with your animals. But in the Levitical law, there's a lot. There's a lot that God wants us to know. Um, Patrick Mead has a whole lesson series on this. And I don't know if you guys know this, but he did biology, something like that, where he studied diseases and stuff. And he taught, he calls the Old Testament law the Buick and the Pyramid. Have you guys heard this analogy before? The Buick and the Pyramid? It's, it's great. Just imagine you're on an Egyptian sightseeing tour and you stumble on a rock, and this is his words, okay? I'm just verbatim telling his story. You stumble on a rock and you're like, what? And you notice it's kind of pointy, and you start brushing away, you realize it's the top of a pyramid. I just found a new pyramid nobody's ever seen before. And you lead the excavation team and you unbury this pyramid, right? And you're like, holy cow, it's the biggest, most beautiful pyramid we've ever seen in our entire life. And they're like, you get to open the pyramid. And you've never seen any Indiana Jones movies, so you're okay being the first one going into the pyramid. And you go into the pyramid and you're like, oh, wow. You're holding the torch up because we don't have flashlights. And you're like, look at, look at these beautiful murals and look at these hieroglyphics and look at the Buick and look at the sarcophagus. What? There's a Buick in the pyramid. Now you have a few options here. Either... You are not the first person to find this pyramid, but you know you are because everything was still sealed from the day it was built. Okay. Second option, the Egyptians could build Buicks. Doesn't sound very plausible. The third option is that something reached into the pyramid from outside and put the Buick there. And that's what Patrick Mead calls the Old Testament law. That it's divine, and you can tell it's divine because of the laws. Paul, why don't you eat a rabbit before the first frost? It has tons of parasites. 
Did you know rabbits pee out parasites? They do. What is bad for a society that is nomadic with sandals and sores on their feet? Stepping in rabbit pee. Because you get parasites. Yes, Sunday morning service, we're talking about rabbit pee. Do you think the ancient Israelites understood that there were parasites inside a rabbit that are microscopic, that you can't see, that get in your bloodstream and really make you sick? No. Why did they know not to keep rabbits? Because God's law. God told them you can't have rabbits. Okay. What about other laws like cleanliness laws? like hand-washing laws, like quarantine laws. Do you think if we followed the Levitical law, we would still be in a global pandemic? That was written thousands of years ago before anybody understood little bugs that live inside of you that make you sick. That's God reaching in from outside. That's the Buick in the pyramid. But people bring up points like, Well, what about the mistreatment of women in the law of God? Oh, okay. That shows God's love. It's not mistreatment. What are you talking about? God made them get out of camp during their cycle. God made them get out of camp after childbirth. They had to leave camp. That was a vacation for them. Think about it. They didn't have to take care of anybody. They got to go out with the ladies. God never meant for it to be an abuse to women. God loves His daughters. God wants His daughters safe. Think about a wound on your arm. If you're out in the middle of nowhere, it can get infected, right? That, like me having a wound on my arm, that's a super highway of bacteria and diseases. Apply that to what God said about women. God was watching after His daughters. That was not saying they were weaker or second class. That was him watching out for his children. And you know how I know that? I look at other laws, like the law where you're not supposed to cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. That's a weird one, right? Why is that there? Because mama gave enough already. She doesn't have to give more. That is God's heart. So when we go back and we read Leviticus, we know it's not written to us. But it's written for us. We can see God's heart in it. We can see God's desire for relationship in it because He gave them this law so that they could be in relationship with Him. And now that I'm saying all this, I want to go back and read Leviticus. Do you guys remember the sermon series we did on Leviticus and how we were all surprised how good it was? That's because we started seeing God's heart. Because we understood it's not written to us, it's written for us, and we can learn from it. Romans 15.4. Paul's talking about the Old Testament. He says, such things were written in Scriptures long ago to teach us. And the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. That still applies today. We can still look at the Old Testament And we can have hope because we got to see what came next. And there are still things coming that we have to look forward to. Scripture's written for me, not necessarily to me. 
I don't live in that society, but I can take what was written to them and apply to it. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. There are things in the Old Testament that I know I should not do because they happened in the Old Testament. I think of Samson. I think of David on his off days. I think of Saul. Scripture, the Bible, is one of the very few literary pieces of work that have all of their, that show all of their heroes in a negative light. There are really only two people in all of Scripture that don't get painted in a negative light. One's Jesus, and the other is Joseph. And the, the, the closest thing that comes to Joseph being sin is it hints at pride when he walks up to his brothers in his technicolor dream coat. But other than that, it paints Joseph in a good light too. Think about that. What other piece of work trying to convince you of something is going to betray all of their heroes in a negative light? Because it wants us to learn from them. Again, written for me, not to me. That's the truth God wants you to see. The Bible is not old and useless. It's not out of date. You can say it's out of date because the we don't cook goats for the most part. But we can see the heart behind it. The truth is... God wants you to read His Word. And God wants you to continue to read His Word. And continue to read His Word. And continue to read His Word. I hope I beat that horse into the ground. Because for me, that has been so important that every day I'm in God's Word. And if you struggle with that, if you struggle with that, find somebody to read God's Word with. Um, me and then uh, I got invited to, and I invited a couple other guys to. Uh, there's like five or six of us in a in a devotional on you version right now called Man Up. And can I tell you how challenging this devotional has been? Because not only are we having a little devotional where we read what the author has for us, and then we read scripture, but then after it, there's a talk it out section where we type out, we, we talk about our struggles with the passages or our victories. And just having those guys talk about what God's Word is saying in their life is so encouraging. It makes me want to keep reading with them. It's a 28-day um, Bible plan, and I think we're on like day 14. So we're halfway through. It's been really good. But God's Word was written for us. And we need to use it. We need to know it. We need to learn it. Because it's so important. Why is it so important? Well, the third point. God wants you to know the truth about the Bible is that it is useful and applicable. It is useful and applicable. So it's historically relevant and accurate. It was written for us, not to us, and it's useful. Right off the bat, some of you guys are thinking about a passage. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is alive and powerful 
It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. The Hebrew writer says, some of you know it as living and active. When I'm studying with somebody, I ask them, do you know what a dead language is? Yeah, it's a language nobody uses. Right. It's true. Nobody speaks it anymore. It's, it's not useful. Scripture is not that. It is alive and active. That means it's still useful today. It still can cut us. It still can open up our, our lives and, and show us our sin. It, it exposes the cancer in your spiritual life. And it gives you the tools to remove it. It's living and active. It's useful and applicable. Are you allowing it to be useful and applicable? So even though it's old, it's still working. We haven't thrown the U.S. Constitution out yet. Right? And, and what's the reasoning behind how effective the Constitution's been over the 200-something years it's been alive? You can amend it. Can I tell you scripture has never been needed to be, never needed to be amended or changed? You can get online and you can look up studies about how we have this accurate translation handed down to us through time. You can look up the Dead Sea Scrolls. You can look up, I didn't know this, there are scrolls that, like the Dead Sea Scrolls for the New Testament, there are scrolls for the Old Testament. And I can't tell you their name, but they're there. That's how we know they're accurate. You can study how the scribes transferred and how important it was and how accurate they were. And if they messed up, like just dropped a drop of ink, they threw it out and started over. You can trust the accuracy. You can trust the relevance. And we can trust that it's never going to go out of date. God's promises are always true. His regulations, if you look at them close enough, always show the heart behind it. And they're always a great guide for us. Even the Old Testament ones. Again, global pandemic. Just follow what Scripture says. Wash your hands. If you're sick, stay away from people. It's essentially what it says. Quarantine rules. We're all familiar with it now. And when you look through regulations in the Old Testament, something that I'm realizing is that Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled it. He took care of everything. He didn't just do away with it. He took care of it. He, he fulfilled what Scripture said. And I can trust that because in 2 Timothy 3.16-17 it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. 
Are you prepared to do every good work because you've been in Scripture, because you've meditated on it, because you've read it and you've read it and you've read it? If not, I want to challenge you. Start today. Start today. Meditate on His Word. Today's a great day to start. Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. Pick a book. Start reading. It's great. Don't get bogged down by stuff you can't understand. Just keep going. Because as you read, you're going to get your answers. And if you didn't the first time through, read again. Because you might have missed it. And then when you're reading, when you're reading God's Word, don't just read it to read it. Read it so that it can change you. In James 1, 22, it says, don't just listen to God's Word, but do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I want God to bless me. I want to say that God has blessed me. I want to be that good and faithful servant that is talked about in Scripture. And I know that I can trust Scripture. Yes, Scripture was written by people. It is a human document, but it is also a divine document. It is inspired by God. Those people who wrote it, God put it on their heart to write it. God put in their hand what to write. And you can trust it. You can trust what God says. And if I trust what it says, I'm going to know how to be right with Christ. Again, in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible is historically accurate, I know I can trust the rest of it. Because I know it was written to me and not for me, I can trust its concepts. I can trust its teachings. I can trust what it says. And Scripture is living and active. It's applicable. And it tells me how to be right with God. It tells me how to have a relationship with Christ. And if you're somebody here and you don't know what that means, you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say I can have a relationship with Christ, I want to ask you, ask somebody here you trust to open up this book that I've been talking about all morning, to open it up and to read what it says about your life, to read what it says you you can have. It says it, it makes you wise for salvation. You can have that wisdom that is contained in this book or on your phone if you're reading it on your phone. I no longer look down on people who read on their phone because I do. It's so much easier. And you can see God's plan for us. You can see the path of salvation. You can see what's involved in surrendering your life to Christ because you're going to be a slave to something. Why not be a slave to the best thing, to Christ, the person who knows you and knows the the plan that was meant for you? Because Scripture can reveal all of that to us. Scripture can show us how to have a relationship with Christ, what's involved in that, how to walk with Christ, how to receive the Holy Spirit, how to have all of this 
is in Scripture. And you can trust it. It's not old and useless. It's not out of date. It's not antiquated. It's alive. It's useful today. And you can trust that. I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're... Talk to somebody you trust. Say, open up Scripture with me. Show me what i got to do to be saved. That's what the, the, the treasure in Ethiopia did with Philip. That's what many other people in Scripture did. I think of a centurion. I think of all these people who are like, what must I do to be saved? Again, there's a communication card in your bulletin. You can check it if you want more information about this church, about small groups, about how to have a, 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 Bible, a Bible study, a personal Bible study. You can write down prayer requests. I want to encourage you to use that tool. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go on with our day. Heavenly Father, You are so awesome. I am so glad to be Your child and be a part of Your kingdom. I am so excited that you don't hide from our questions. You don't hide from our doubts. You don't hide anything from us. You want us to trust you. You want us to know you. You want us to be your children and to love you. You love us so much. You gave us your word that we can use in our lives. You wrote it for us, Father, and I'm so glad that we have it. I'm so glad that we don't have to stress about what would you say because we can find answers to even the gray areas in life in your word. If we just ap- apply your precepts and your, your commands and, and just want to honor you, Father, I'm so glad you sent your son for us that we can have life with you forever. And it can start today if it hasn't already, Father. Thank you so much for sending your son to, to, to fulfill the law to fulfill that problem we had, to be the perfect lamb, to be that sacrifice that we could never give, and to rise again from the dead, to conquer death, something we definitely could not do, Father. And God, I am so glad that I get to live with you forever. I'm so glad that I'm your child, and I'm so glad to have this family, Father. Please bless us this week. Help us to walk in light of your spirit and your word, and help us to be the light in a dark world. I love you, Father. So in your name I pray, amen.